0: If I bleed tonight, if I am sad tonight, I don't
1: Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of the Power Slam podcast here, wherever you get your podcasts or on Patreon a day early. My name is Kenny, joined as always by Mr. Finley Martin. Finn, how are you today?
0: Kenny, I'm I'm really, yeah, I'm doing very well. Um, We have finished issue 40 of Inside the Robs magazine. That's now complete. Uh, So that's on its way to the printers as I speak. People You've sent in. out a lot of copies of the yearbook, so we're making progress, aren't we, Kenny?
1: We are, we are. There are hundreds of you already that have books on the way to you. PowerSlam yearbooks. And um, yeah, they're going fast. So again, com is where to get them. Um, we are fulfilling them here at the house. So uh, it's it's been a, it's um it's really testing my love of PowerSlam. <laughs> To still, to still be enjoying it as I wake up in the morning and I'm wrapping them. I go to sleep and I'm rapping them. Um, but no, it's been it's been really good. the the, the support from them has been great. And uh, yeah, the Jim Cornette interview. I think uh, you know, great interview in the magazine this month coming up. And oh, you've, you've read sleep.
0: it finally, Kenny. Last time we spoke, you hadn't seen it.
1: Yes, yes, I was proofing yesterday. And, yeah, it's a bell turn. You know, some of Jim's opinions are going to. I'm going to probably ruffle some feathers, but uh, <laughs> you know, for, to, to to say the least. But yeah, you know, this is it. You, you you don't. You're not going to always have people who think the same way as everybody else, and that's no,
0: they... no, you aren't. And uh, this is obviously applies to pretty much everything in life as well. <laughs> well it's Cornette's opinions, pineapple on pizza, yes. You know, he should be running the damn country. You know, you know, I'm pro wrestling, and that's a nice segue into today's podcast, Kenny.
1: Yes, it is. And you know, it's funny, we were talking on Tuesday on what's going down about the Adam Copeland and Christian feud, where, you know, we said that the direction of travel has got to be that Nick Wayne's mum, Shana, or Shanna, um, is going to be turning heel. And she did on last night's Dynamite. Yes. She turned heel. And I've got to say, you know, I, I made a joke that I've missed the Linda McMahon levels of acting. Well, she did not disappoint me last night. Because <laughs> she comes out and, you know, the, the idea, I assume, is that she is meant to make you think she's going to hit Christian with this belt and then yeah. she hits Edge. The, yeah, yeah, she, she gets in and she's just staying at Edge with the belt for a good 30 seconds and you almost, you're, almost can hear Christian going, look at me, love, look at me. yeah, And, um, and the, but then, she, you know, the belt was shot, not bad. I thought, not bad shot by, yeah, by yeah, the
0: yeah. I mean, I mean, if it's, I mean, she's still a, a novice, a newcomer to all of this. I mean, it's, you would do like the rehearsal several yeah. times, wouldn't you, to make sure she knew what she was doing. I mean, they must have rehearsed it. Surely they must have rehearsed it. It was like the, you know, the famous Ronda Rousey mixed tag match. I mean, that was rehearsed again and again and again and again and again. And that was the why it was so good. Because she was a, it was new to all of this. So um, you know, I mean, anyway, I mean the story makes sense. I mean, it made no sense at all to me that Copeland would nail Nick Wayne with the concerto right in front of his mother. Um, is it anyone, even though they were they were estranged at the time, you know, it's still mother and son. So in many ways, and this is really an indictment of the booking of AEW, um, Copeland, you know, got his just desserts, you know, just smashed, you know, her son in the head with a chair, a devastating move. Um, So of course there were going to be reprisals. Of course she was going to, you know, take revenge and set the, you know, settle the score with Copeland for what, He had done to her son. So presumably this will lead to some kind of TLC match or gimmick match at World's End. I would World's End. I would think at the end of the month, some type of rematch, I would think.
1: Yeah, I think so. And yeah, it's it's funny. I was watching this and I'd read that Cornette interview, and I'll not give away what it is, but I was watching the main event. You know, he he talks a little bit about the edge in AEW, and it kind of got me thinking about that when I was watching it. But you know, they're in a tough spot as well because they've got to they've got to do these big matches and they've got yeah. to deliver ratings, but they've also got pay-per-views coming out. I was sitting with Steve Gunn this morning and we're watching it and he's somebody who likes AEW like I do. And, you know, we, we enjoy parts of it, don't enjoy others, parts of it. And, um, and he said, for him, the thing that he finds quite frustrating is sometimes these kind of dream matches that kind of come out of nowhere. And he says, you know, like Kenny Omega and MJF for four years had never really crossed paths. No. And then they just had a match. And it's like if you know, the, in wrestling the, the the story to get to the match a lot of times is is the best part or should be the best part. You know, it should yeah. make you really excited to get to the destination. But if the dest, you know, it's like if if you just if all of a sudden I just turn around go, Finn, we're going to New York now. Well you get no time to prepare. You get yeah. no you get no no room to get
0: excited, you can't plan all the stuff you need to plan to do it. You're just going. What you, you are. Say- I mean, the perfect you know example here is and I realize this is a dated analogy, is Randy Savage versus Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania Five. I mean, who really remembers the match? We all remember you know, the main event, the tag match in which Savage attacked Hogan backstage after Elizabeth was wiped out. We all remember that. We all remember, you know, the breakdown of their friendship. That's the part we remember, the build to the match rather than the match itself. You know, and it was the story, you know, which was brilliantly told and executed and just paced so well by WWF at the time. I mean, that led to record business for WWE. That was the biggest money show in company history at the time and um, and biggest money show for many years after that as well. And it was all about story. And that's pro wrestling. And you're obviously a big fan, a big admirer. Of well-told, well-crafted uh, storylines in pro wrestling, and so am I. And that's what is memorable, and that's what sells the match. I mean, my two dogs are named after the two people
1: you just mentioned. So you know, <laughs> I really, it's it's funny actually. Bit off-topic, but um, I'm trying to get some dog training for Randy, my new dog, or new dog, I- and because you know he's had a very tough upbringing in Serbia, and he's very reactive to other dogs because he's terrified and we had a trainer and she was great, but she's not got any availability for like another month. So we found another trainer to kind of take over. And she was asking me all these questions on WhatsApp.
0: about you, know, you telling this- me the dog trainers booked up? Yeah. I thought no one had any money, Kenny. Have you got <laughs> money for dog trainers? Oh, the dog money now,
1: Finn, is like people's premium. We live now, right? See, See if I go to the shop in the morning, right? You're guaranteed to see at least two, three dog walking vans. Wow, like this—it's big business now. But um, but you, we we've got we've got this rescue dog. We can't wait a month. We need an, you know at least a session in December. So got this recommendation for somebody else. We're speaking to her, and I'm messaging her on WhatsApp, and I'm saying you know this is Randy. He his issues. Blah blah blah. And I said well, you know we've got another dog—a golden retriever. They got on really well. And she says to me, "Well, what's the name of the golden retriever?" And I said his name's Hulk. And she says, "Not like Macho Man Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan." I said, yeah, actually, said, that's bloody brilliant, you know. So she, even she, the dog walker, the dog trainer, she knows. She appreciates good wrestling storytelling, so exactly, you know. Yeah. She remembers the mega powers exploding. Yeah, is it is Indian America going to be calling their dogs Max and Kenny after that collision match? I don't think so. No. Anyway, um, but yeah, so I, I, I am very, very excited about Nick Wayne's mum and the acting that is to come. Uh, with her <laughs> she uh, she did she did look great, she looked great, I really uh, liked the, like the look that she had, and I liked her kind of confidence after she did the belt shot, but um yeah, if you want a bit of unintentional comedy, her basically giving away she's hitting an edge you know it was yeah. it was it was up there with whose side is he
0: on ah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, those telegraphed outcomes You've <laughs> love <them>, yeah <laughs> um, but there is some.
1: Sad news in pro wrestling for, I guess, people in the UK mainly because it doesn't really apply to anybody else. But this week we found out that WWE DVDs are being discontinued. Yes. Uh, the UK is the last place where they were a thing. That was the last place where they were uh, still active. And WB Home Video wrote out on the 5th of December, which was on Tuesday, with great sadness, we must announce that WWE have taken the decision to withdraw from the home video category. No licensing deals will be renewed worldwide after 2023. So the last release is going to be Crown Jewel 23, uh, 2023 on uh, coming out in, at the end of the year. And the they go on to say, WWE home video has been releasing VHS, DVD and Blu-ray for 36 years. The last 11 years through Fremantle in Europe. But this will come to an end on the 31st of December with no further WWE, DVD, or Blu-ray stock manufactured. So they go and sort of thank everybody for the support. But uh, our friend Nick Housman at House of Wrestling, he did actually get some comment from WWE about this. And they had sort of said that there is no, there's sort of no money, basically, was the message. Yeah. And uh, uh, let me get the exact comment here that they said.
0: I mean, was- that was, it's, I mean, it's been, to be honest, Kenny, I'm amazed
1: it lasted as long as it did. Yeah, 100%, well, here's what WB said. They said, a high-up a high source in WB said, the home video business has long been in decline and it will no longer be a place where the company dedicates time and resources. So, but, I mean, the thing is, if you are somebody, I mean, I, I collected a lot of VHSs and DVDs, and I think part of the reason, obviously there is a decline in physical media. We know that. Yeah. But the, the releases had got so lazy in the last few years. I mean, you know, if you, so if you were to buy... I don't know, SummerSlam on DVD, right? There wasn't loads of extras that would encourage you to buy the DVD of it. It would just be here's the event. And now it's like, if, you, if it's just the event, you can get it on the network.
0: You can get exactly. it. Exactly. You've got the, you've you're probably going to have the network and it's there. It's on tap. Why yeah. would you want the DVD as well? Why would you spend, what were they charging? Was it 15 quid, 20 quid? Why would you spend that sort of money on something that's already there for free when there's nothing extra? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, it just shows you, doesn't it? That There was just, they realised there wasn't really much of an appetite there for DVDs anymore because sales have declined so much because people watch them on the network now. So, you know, there wasn't then the work and the effort going into this arm of the business to encourage people to buy the DVDs. You know, people might think, well, I'd buy it if it had these extras or a commentary or, you know, I don't know, some extra stuff that was uh, exclusive to the DVD. I mean, back in the glory days when silver vision were releasing VHSs and DVDs and finally Blu-rays, um, you know, they would insist um on including extras, exclusives. And this was pre-network. You know, yeah. they, I think, Fremantle took over in was it 2013 I think it was and obviously the network launched in 2014 so um, yeah that was something that Silver Vision always insisted on I had a really good relationship with Silver Vision for actually for decades and um, yeah they were um, you know they did very well out of it you know for a time and um, obviously towards the end there you know things started declining as broadband arrived and people could watch things on online for free, um, there was um, less of a reason, less of an inclination to spend money on DVDs because everything, or most things could be accessed for free. So it's just the way of the world. It's, you know, the march of technology. And um, yeah, I mean, it's the end of an era um, and it's sad. Um, but I mean, it's kind of inevitable, really, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, including
1: me, I mean, we didn't get Sky until 1997, and even before that, I mean, when if you were kind of my age or above, so 38 or above, Silver Vision, who did the, the videos at that point, they were a massive part of being a fan in the UK. Mm. Because a lot of people, you know, I know now everybody's kind of got access to Sky or whatever, but in the, in the early 90s, not everybody had Sky at all. It was it was kind of a premium thing. Yeah. But, you know, it also depends where you lived. If you lived in like a, you know, you were the downstairs flat, there was an upstairs flat. I mean, this happened to us. The upstairs neighbour could just say, I'm not letting you have a sky dish. You know, I don't want a sky dish in the front of the house. So then you can't get one.
0: You've still never forgiven that guy, have you, Kenny? I know. And he's dead. But,
1: you know, hes I still won't forgive him. <laughs> Fucking Harry. Um, <laughs> but he, he always had it in for me. I, I can tell you that. But, um uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, we, my mum, I think, or my grandpa or my mum, I can't remember who, but they got, they must have somehow found this catalogue, the Silver Vision catalogue, and I do where they would have got it, but that was how, you know, I remember they got me WrestleMania 3 and SummerSlam 89. It was my first two tapes. And, yeah, I mean, for years and years and years, almost decades... I bet you wore them out, didn't you, Kenny? I did. SummerSlam 89 still to this day. I mean, you, we've all got, like, a wrestling show, you put it on, it's nostalgia, and SummerSlam 89 is just my one. You know, yeah. how can you not fall in love with sensational sherry... In the corner of the Macho Man and Zeus against Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake with Miss Elizabeth in the corner.
0: I mean, that's a main event. That is a main event. That is that's a main event. You know, we're still talking about it now. I mean, <laughs> will people be talking about? I mean, what's that? Thirty-four years ago now. Yep. I mean, can you imagine people talking about a main event in twenty twenty-three? You know, in he's uh, my uh, useless edition now in twenty. <laughs> 50, what will that be? 20, 20 2056, that's it. Yes. Oh no, it's 34 years, 2057. <laughs> Bloody hell, maths was never my strong suit. Mine neither. Did you ever, did you ever back in the day, buy the videos
1: at any point in early on?
0: Yes, I think I did. Um, I mean, yeah, I did do, because there was, there was some things that you couldn't watch any other way. And, um, it was um yeah, I mean it was really exciting when you bought one of those new videos. You couldn't wait to get it home. And you know, they always did a really uh, you know sterling job on the covers, it was very bright colourful and really popped and leapt off the shelf, which is obviously the whole you know purpose of a cover. Um it took me a while to work that out. Um so so yeah, I, I did do, yeah. And the WCW videos as well. I would buy them and um and even sort of like independent uh, videos that came out on like world class. Um, and various other promotions. I remember ordering. I think it was wrestling's bloodiest battles. I actually ordered it from America. Cost a fortune. I think I ordered this in about 1990 or 1991. Mm-hmm. It was advertised in like Pro Wrestling Illustrated and those magazines. I sent it off to America for it. I think you had to actually get a money order from the bank. I mean, this is my level of fandom. You know, my level of fandom, because you couldn't obviously send send a check. Remember checks? You couldn't send a check drawn on an English bank um, for a product that was being sold by an American company. Um, so I had to get a bank order, or whatever it was, bank draft it out at NatWest, or wherever it was at the time. Sent that over, and about six weeks later, this video turned up. Wrestling's bloodiest battles, I think it was called. And they had all these lurid photos, um, you know, of the, from the matches on the video uh, on the full page advert in PWI. And it was dreadful, Kenny. It was lousy. <laughs> it was like Dr. Jerry Graham Jr., I think it was um it was like the WWA, it was like Dick the Bruiser's company and it's dying months and years. Um, Scott Steiner was on the tape and there was blood everywhere. But I mean, the problem with it was was I wasn't aware of the concept of blading at this point, but on this video, it was so obvious. You could see him do it. And it was just like this eye-opening experience. You know, it was the day K-Fabe officially died in my mind. It's like, that's it. You know, some of it, you know, blood. Well, the blood's got to be real. You know, and then I watched this and all these guys are cutting themselves very obviously with razor blades. I'm like, wow, I can't believe they're doing that. I've never noticed that before. And then I went back and watched King Kong Bundy versus Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 2. And you could see Bundy Blade and all these other matches I had in which people bled. And I think the only person who I couldn't see do the Blade job was Terry Funk at the Great American Bash 89. And you couldn't see him do it. And I was like, wow, you know, everybody else, it's very obvious that they just cut themselves. But Terry Funk, what a pro. You couldn't see it. You couldn't spot it. You know, a sleight of hand. The man was a magician when it came to using the blade, or at least he was back then. Um, but yeah, I used to buy videos, Kenny. Sorry, that was a long, uh, <laughs> a long story. And we got there in the end. i finished it now. Let's move on. <laughs> I mean, it's funny,
1: not, not to open up Pandora's box here, but, you know, that was kind of, you know, part of the point that you were making with Eric Bischoff when you spoke to him was, you know, if, if WCW had at least had the videos, I, I mean, they could have made monster money.
0: Oh, Absolutely. So,
1: if they'd been in HMV in 1998, 1999, I mean, there's WWF fans who would have probably just bought the videos, seeing them in W H Smith, not not watching WCW.
0: But exactly, but- I mean, like obviously Rick Rude, people remember him. He'd gone over to WCW in late '91. And people go, wow, Rick Rude, you know, at the um, the Halloween Phantom. That was his introduction, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and like, wow, Rick Rude, you know, let's watch, you know, I'm going to buy that. And yeah, I mean, if those videos had been on the shelves, they would have sold in huge numbers. I mean, I remember, you know, like the original, like, Hulk, I think it was the original Hulkamania video. I mean, they sold tens of thousands of copies. I remember I did get the numbers out of Silver Vision once and did include them in an old issue of Power Slam. I think it was like close to like 100,000 copies. Some of those early VHS videos uh, sold. And like some of them were only like an hour long um, and were very expensive for what they were. But that was the level of, you know, uh, appeal that WWF had in the craze years of, you know, cra- craze, not the craze as in the villains, craze as in C-R-A-Z-E, the craze years of WWF in Night I mean, everything that they put out sold in enormous quantities because there were so many people were into it. And it was this sort of, so, you know, level of um, fandom and appetite for WWF product that anything would would sell, you know, massively. So, um, yeah, WCW absolutely blew it on so many levels in this country. And, you know, it was disappointing, Kenny, that Eric Bischoff um, kind of refused to acknowledge that in our interview. Um You know, I thought that really showed uh, an arrogance on his part. And, you know, we all need humility and we certainly need to accept when we have made mistakes in life. I think we need to anyway, certainly business. Um, You know, I think people think more of you if you're willing to sort of come clean and say, yeah, fair enough. We should have done that. Yeah, we really kind of blundered there and left a lot of money on the table. But Bischoff was having none of it. Yeah,
1: he was having none of it. Um, Chris Jericho was in the news because he was a guest on Chris Van Bleak's, uh show on YouTube. And he told a story about Vince McMahon that I wanted to just read to you and see if I can get your thoughts on the, uh, this story.
0: So he basically is said... It, is this the one in which Jericho said that everyone in AEW would benefit from six months in WWE? No, but we I mean, talk about that first. Do you think that's a fair... Is that a fair assessment of... of do you think that's true? Um, well, I'm not sure about that because some people you know wouldn't make it through the door. Some people would have a terrible time there, and they would be treated as jobbers. I think Jericho's point in whatever interview he he yeah, he he did in which he made that comment. I think Jericho's point was if you're in that organization and I thought this was actually was a valid point by jericho um is that you go there and you look at the business differently because you know they've got so much experience. They know how to do everything well. And just by being there, you know, if you're willing to listen and absorb information, then you will leave WWE a, you know, more rounded performer with a better understanding of what it is that you are attempting to do. I think that was the message that he was um, broadcasting. Um, But I think, you know, some people would have a terrible time in WWE in terms of their careers. You know, they would just be left in catering. I mean, let's face it, there's some WWE people there now, Kenny, who are left in catering. Yeah. Uh, but some AEW people would uh, would just be jobbed out and, you know, would probably like just crush their spirits and they quit the business. So not everyone would benefit from actually wrestling for the company. But I can imagine if they were willing to learn, they would benefit from the experience of being there. Yeah, I think I think if
1: you were to, I think if somebody was to go and work in a in a Vince McMahon WWE in like, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, I I think half of you would probably quit wrestling. You just wouldn't wouldn't want to be in that sort of level of a political environment. Yeah, but you know, I mean, I guess there is if you're able to get. I guess Jericho's point is maybe if you can get through that, you can get through anything. If you can yeah. m- navigate those waters. But here's the other story he said about Vince. He said when I was hosting Tough Enough in Orlando, I had a press day in New York the next day. And Vince would always fly in at a white planes. So that's close to where he lives. And they said, you can just jump on the in on the jet with Vince. It was me, Vince, Triple H and Kevin Dunn. And uh, he said, so I get there and I get on the plane. We start to fly. He and I are drinking and Triple H and Kevin have decided to go to sleep. And so Vince and I are just kind of hanging out, listening to The Stones and ACDC, because that's two of his favorite bands. And when we land, he says, let's go to the gym. And I'm like, go to the gym. It's 4.30 in the morning. I've got to go up at 7.00. And Vince says, I've got to get up at six. And Jericho goes on and say, we're fucking drunk. He's like, let's go to the gym. I'm like, I'm not going to the gym. I'm going to sleep. So I get to my room and I go to sleep at 4.30. And I wake up at 6.30. And I've got a text on my phone with a picture of Vince flexing in the gym. And he writes, Vince one, Jericho zero. He was probably <laughs> 73 at the time. But he had that work ethic. And he would say, I don't expect you to do anything I wouldn't rub- do myself. And that rubs off. I mean yeah. 73 then he's doing
0: that. Yeah, well I mean Kurt Angle, when it was on Joe Rogan, you know, he mentioned that, you know, Vince would work out in the middle of the night and he had his personal trainer who travels with him everywhere, or at least he did back in the day when Vince was going to WWE <laughs> TV tapings, um, before he was sent home. Um, so I can well believe the story that Vince would do that. You know, and I suppose if it's weight machines you know, you're not lifting like dumbbells or barbells. You're probably not going to injure yourself, although it's still not advisable to lift weights, even if they're on machines when you've been drinking. I think that's fair to say, Kenny. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, what's what's your I mean, what's your op-
1: what's your kind of average level of sleep at night? I would say I'm about seven hours. That's my my time.
0: Yeah, I would say about eight hours. I mean, if I'm coming up to deadline, I, st- I you know, I still have it where my mind's racing and sometimes I find it quite difficult to get to sleep. It used to be terrible back in the power slam days mm-hmm. where you just, you know, it'd take me hours sometimes to get to sleep because you're, you're just rewriting stuff. And you're, oh, did I get that right? And, oh, you know, was that date correct? And, oh, you know, I have I done that. And you know, there were times when I'd actually go back into work. Like okay. in the middle of the night to check something. I mean, that's how bad it was. And this is, you know, perfectionist tendencies, which I am well aware that I have. And, you know, that's not always a healthy thing. I mean, it's a healthy thing in terms of wanting to get something right, but it can also drive you crazy. And it's yeah. done that. You know, it's certainly had that effect on me at times where I've been driven. So, all I can think about is just getting, the, you know, getting things right um but yeah probably about eight hours i can probably i can get by on seven i can get by on less now i'm getting older i've got to say but as far as having one hour sleep and then functioning the next day nah it's that's the next day is going to be a bit of a write-off Write off no. i would say
1: yeah i was never able to do it. you know some people who i know and i'm sure some people listen to this when they were like students they were able to just do all-nighters and like if i do an all-nighter I i i i can't have a full great day the next day like I'm not gonna yeah. I, I can I can I can maybe scrape by, but I'm not gonna be able to give you anything optimum out of me. But um but then seventy-three is still able to do that, which is absolutely insane.
0: Yeah, I, I mean apparently, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's an adrenaline thing and it's an ego thing. I mean Margaret Thatcher was famous for it, wasn't she? I mean, she's a name that's been mentioned recently and uh, <laughs> the news i mean she used to say was it three or four hours a night she would have and she was like a workaholic and she was so driven that she just you know couldn't sleep so i do i do i do understand it and i imagine you can condition yourself to do it like obviously you know in wars and things like that you know certainly back in world war one and world war two when you you know it's trench warfare or whatever. I think there'll be, you just wouldn't sleep or you maybe sleep for like half an hour or an hour a day and you were constantly on edge that you were going to be killed. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine that you can train yourself to do it, but it's not something that I would like to do. I mean, as far as all night, I, I certainly, I did one, I think I remember doing one in 2008 on PowerSlam. I'm not quite sure I found myself in that position. Mm-hmm. And I nearly, I did one after I did the famous uh, Roddy Piper interview for superstars of wrestling, that was back in '92, right. where I remember actually sleeping in my office. So it wasn't a proper, you know, technical all nighter. You know, I I did have a couple of hours, uh, but I didn't leave the office. So, um, but yeah, the next day was it was very, very difficult. So yeah, <laughs> right. so the next day you're going to enter a suboptimal performance. So at least I would. Maybe maybe Vince just doesn't doesn't matter anymore. You know, he's yeah. been doing this for years. So I think you can condition yourself. To you know, um, deal with extremes if you really want to. Let's face it, most of us don't want to.
1: Yeah, I would, I would agree.
0: Well, listen, um, that's all the time we've got for today. As we said
1: at the top of the the, the program, powerslammagazine.com dot is where you can pick up the nineteen ninety four yearbook. They are in stock now, so if you order one today, uh, they will be. They'll leave on Monday, so they'll they'll be with you mid midweek next week probably because they're going at first class signs so. You know they're gonna be a priority for the post office, so plenty of time to still get up for Christmas. Uh so PowerSlam magazine.com is where you can go and check it out. Uh but then I hope you have a great weekend. And uh, yes, I'll-
0: thank you. I'm gonna put the decorations up this weekend. So um yeah so yeah I'm looking forward to a, a non-working weekend Kenny after um the last few weeks which have been you know pretty full on. Uh, yeah. but hopefully you know you'll see the uh the fruits of that in the next issue of Inside the Ropes magazine, which goes on sale on December 21st.
1: Indeed. And well
0: done there, because, you know,
1: Tony Schiavone, actually, you know, you said there in the next issue of Inside the Ropes magazine, you didn't say it in the next issue of Power Slam magazine, but last <laughs> night on Dynamite, Tony can, uh, so, to, I've fucked it now, Tony <laughs> Schiavone uh, ended up calling AEW WCW during the show. So, well, that is
0: actually really funny because if you read, you know what's going down. I make a reference to Tony Schiavone and WCW. Oh, there you go. See, yeah. so that was very well timed on my part. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, thank you for all your
1: support, everybody, as always, and we'll talk to you soon. If I
0: be tonight, if I'm sad tonight.